We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hello, everyone. I am Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Perpetual Chess is a weekly chess interview show with accomplished chess players, authors, personalities, and adult improvers where they discuss their lives, their careers, and share tips about how to improve at chess. For more information, go to perpetualchesspod.com. So without further ado, let's get to the Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Perpetual Chess. We are joined this week by a distinguished guest. She is 84 years of age, joining us from her home in California. She grew up in Dublin, uh, originally was an architect by trade, uh, also a chess player. In fact, in 1970, she was the Irish uh, women's chess champion. She's represented Ireland on the Women's Olympiad team seven different times. But as I said, based in California, where she's best known these days for having founded the Berkeley Chess School in 1981. They, these days teach about 7,000 kids per year. They have taught future grandmasters such as Sam Shanklin, Hans Niemann, uh, most recently Christopher Yu. Um, of course, that's not their main emphasis. They are a nonprofit devoted to teaching lots of kids chess. Uh, it's estimated they've taught somewhere in the neighborhood of 250,000 kids over the, these years. Our guest is also a U.S. Ch- or has been a U.S. chess board member. And most importantly, she is a mom. And without further ado, let's welcome Elizabeth Shaughnessy to the show. Welcome, Elizabeth. Uh, thank you. Thank you, uh, Ben. It's, uh, it's good to be here. 
Thanks. Yeah. As I mentioned to you right before we press record, I, after listening to a couple of your interviews, I feel like I'm a fan of yours now. You were so dynamic talking about, you know, you've got an amazing life story um, and just your enthusiasm for chess and education really, really shines through. So not to put too much pressure on you, but I, I, uh, I'm excited for this interview. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I, I do believe I do. I do. So I mean, I've devoted my life to my belief that chess improves is educational, improves people's minds, especially children develops their minds in in, uh, in um, positive ways. It also helps, I, I think, all people like myself to uh, to stay sharp. Uh, and so I, I think it's just an amazing tool. And the benefit, the extraordinary the benefit of it for kids, uh, or for us trying to teach kids, is that kids view it as a game. Uh, so it's just a game. So they've no um, no um, a barrier. They don't create any barrier against it. Adults do. They think, oh, I couldn't do that. It's uh, you have to be very smart to do that. Kids don't do that. They just. They know it's a game. They come and they want to play a game and they're enthusiastic about playing a game. And in so doing and listening to our lessons and then playing their games, uh, they are developing their minds in ways that will stand to them in their lives, whatever they do, wherever they go. And I'm guessing you've had a chance to witness this firsthand as you've been teaching for so many decades and uh, seen so many of your students grow up. Yeah, yeah, that's true. The, the other thing I found a lot of them... Um, uh, uh, Asperger's, uh, especially, is uh, it, that chess helps those children a lot, um, and uh, we do get some kids with Asperger's, and they uh, we're delighted to be able to help there where so f there's such there isn't much help out there for them. But I find with chess they make friends, with chess they fit in, with chess um, they they're usually very smart. I mean, intellectually smart. There isn't a problem with that, but the problem is with uh, f uh, their feeling of not fitting in. Uh, they're, uh, they find it hard to make friends. It's um, and chess, chess does it for them, and that's a joy to watch. Also, apart from the the rest of the kids, the other thing it's great to witness is, of course, when you go into schools, and there are schools in this wealthy United States of America and this wealthy California, where children have nothing. Uh, they have their classroom teacher and they have no um, uh, no PE, for instance. No, they go on the playground and they just play. I mean, nobody's uh, so it's it's wonderful to go into those schools and give them chess. And they are so enthusiastic about it. Of course, it's it's the one thing that's different from their class classroom instruction. And it's a game and they're just delighted. Oh, we've taken off time in our school day for chess. That's wonderful, you know. Uh, so that's also uh, good to see. And in those kids especially, I have seen uh, great changes. Uh, yeah. yeah. And you've told the story I'll be referencing. You have uh, you did an interview on a podcast called uh, Growth from Failure with uh, Yin Hin. And it was actually, Yin actually was so, so moved by your interview. And we have the same podcast producer. So she emailed me after that and said, you have to interview Elizabeth. And it's actually taken me longer than it should have to, to get to it. But in any event, in your interview, with Yin, you mentioned that it's that uh, Berkeley Chess School is a nonprofit and that the air quotes business model that you landed on is charging parents for the class, but being able by doing that, being able to subsidize the kids who can't afford chess. Yes. Yes. That was uh, 
that was my solution to my problem. My problem when I started it was, and I just started it as a volunteer mother in my children's in my children's school. Uh, and uh, my my problem was, I couldn't teach all the schools that were asking us to put it in. I'm only one person. I, there's five days and five school days in the week. Uh, I taught five times, but I needed ten times, fifteen times. There were so many schools asking for it. And my problem was where to find the teachers. And I went to the club and they wouldn't work for free. So then I came back and asked the PTA. Um, they wouldn't uh, they wouldn't give the money for it either, but they did say they would pay for their own children. So I thought, okay, well, the solution then is to charge them a little more so we can have all the children, whether they have can afford it or not. And that's been the model ever since. We've, we've never turned a child away for lack of funding or lack of being able to pay and we go into title one schools we raise money to do that from foundations and philanthropists um to go into title one schools we pay our teachers obviously and nowadays we have office staff to pay as well in the beginning there wasn't i was doing everything but it's gotten too big for that so um so uh, so that's how it works and uh, that's how it has to work we can't i i would feel I would feel it wasn't worth doing if we couldn't reach a child just because who wanted to do it just because they couldn't pay. That would be really awful. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, it's much better when when there's equal opportunity, uh, equal access for for all students. And of course, we're talking when you when you refer to suddenly there being demand for for more programs. We're talking about the early 1980s. Um, so you're kind of a trailblazer. Now there's there's organizations like yours all over the country. Um, but at the time, I believe after school chess programs were quite rare. So was there just, did you see the demand right away? And did, did it surprise you when that happened, Elizabeth? Oh, I was amazed. Um, I, the first day I showed up, I, I, I volunteered and I showed up for after school chess at Oxford School where my children went. And uh, I brought five chess sets and boards expecting 10 kids. And I expected 10 boys. And I got 72 kids. And they were half girls and half boys. I was just astonished. And the parents came to see what it was like, too. Well, you can imagine the chaos with five chess sets and boards and 72 children in one room trying to teach them chess. But we pulled it off and the parents brought some cookies and stuff. And it was quite a celebration. Uh, but I also talked to the parents and realized then it, it, that chess, these children were from all all countries in the world in a way they they were all americans but you know they were of all ethnicities all and and the parents and the homes played chess i mean that surprised me too that it was so widespread and yet in my travels all over the world and i've gone to a lot of places i see chess played everywhere except here in the united states now it is but then it wasn't um so you know i fell into this i didn't i didn't really uh, planet and say i will start a chess program that will teach seven thousand kids a year uh, i just did what came along and it just kept coming along and the, the interest was there people in the chess world laughed at me and said you know um nobody's going to play pay you money to teach them chess well i was a mother and i was paying for taekwondo i was playing paying for ballet i was paying for art i was paying for carpentry i was paying for everything why not chess 
So I was right. Um, but I went in not not thinking that's an important thing. I went in because I, I my kids went to the school and, you know, parents and mothers in particular usually uh, try to help out in the schools their kids go to. So that was um, how, how it started. But, yes, I was astonished. I was astonished yeah. at the amount of interest there. But you'd seen the benefits of chess in, in your own life already at that point, Elizabeth? Yeah, I, I don't know that I ever sat down and, and wondered about it. In fact, I, I don't know that I've ever wondered about the benefits of chess in my life. I mean, I do now that I'm older. Uh, I see the benefits of chess for my uh, for my brain, for my own. Uh, but I don't know that I ever sat back and thought, oh, chess has done great things for me. I love chess. I just I think it's an amazing game, even if it had no benefits. It's just so amazing. <laughs> Uh, it's there's no final answer, you know. Every single game is different. It's an amazing game, really, and uh, and it's. Uh, I'm thinking of uh, games or things like um, uh, card games or other games. They're played with people. Chess, you have to take responsibility for your own actions. This is one of the good things that teaches kids. Uh, You've made the decision. You can't blame your partner. You can't blame your team. You can't blame your coach. You decided. You made that decision. You gain or lose from that decision. And you have to accept that it's your responsibility. You did it. Kids don't have have very many things in their lives that allows them to take control like that of their own destiny. Uh, just they're usually they're told what to do by their teachers. They're told what to do by their parents. Uh, appropriately so, but here's an opportunity for them to be absolutely their own person. They can make the mistakes if they want to, and they can uh, correct those mistakes if they want to. And we teach them, of course, And uh, but the game, we're not, nowhere near them in the game. That's their game, and uh, only their game. There's no help halfway through, hey, what do I play here? No, you decide what you play there. So there's that to it too. So did I ever think about what it's done for me? Not not to a great extent. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously it's you know, it's helped you find this this great organization. And obviously um that in turn has has led to you teaching so many kids um over the years. Now you've mentioned uh, in prior talks and interviews. I should have mentioned you were the chess educator of the year in uh, 2011 as well, that although you've had these amazing players, I mean, future U.S. champion and Sam Shankland uh, and uh, Hans Niemann <laughs> might have a U.S. championship or two in his future, not to mention Christopher Yu. So, um, but your primary emphasis is the life skills that the kids can develop from chess? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Uh the, you don't need to, you really don't need to, and I wish coaches would understand this, you don't need to decide, I'm going to make this kid a master. I mean, this is the point of my teaching, he's going to be a master. Because if you make it fun for them and interesting for them, uh, 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 if they are inclined that way, they're going to become it anyway, whether you like it or not. I mean, uh, Sam Shanklin, of course, at a certain point, went way beyond anything we could teach him. Uh, but what we, what we did was we made made it fun. We we emphasized tactics. We do that, uh, which is the fun part of chess, really, um, or the best certainly the best fun for the uh, weaker player, uh, or the middle player, or even the nineteen hundred player. Um, 
so we he he enjoyed it enormously uh he enjoyed it enough to want to get better he studied he would come with us he he uh you know was in a group of kids who were equally good maybe not quite as good as he was but able to give him a game um and and uh, he became what he became we didn't at any point set his mother or father aside and say you know this child is very talented we simply have to give him this that and the other extra extra thing or he has to take lessons with the grandmaster he has to pay this or he has to pay that we never did and never do any of that because that's not where it's at where it's at is the child themselves and you give them the give them what you give them and you uh, if you can get them interested after that uh, you know they they do it so there's the there's no need for that if 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 what you're looking for is a grandmaster or a master which is not what we are looking for but we get it anyway because we we teach them the fun of it they get involved in it they're smart they become what they become i mean others might choose to become a doctor instead of be a crack a wonderful doctor or a wonderful uh, accountant or a, a wonderful teacher or a wonderful anything you know a business person uh, entrepreneur whatever uh, and and chess has an influence over that it's it's the um uh, it's the discipline of chess is very important also chess has uh, has rules and regulations this is important for asperger kids by the way it's 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 clear you know, here are the rules. You have to obey them. You have to do this. You, have, you can't talk during chess and so on. Um, it, it has the discipline, and the, that discipline will last them for their lives. And, you know, it's it's in, the, in one of the Title I schools we went into, I may have mentioned this in some other of my interviews, but um, you go into, you, you see kids who are, who are smart, really smart, uh, who are not learning at school. They're being disruptive. They won't pay attention. They won't listen to the teacher. They prefer to mouth off. Um, well, there were a couple of brothers in a school in Richmond, California, in, in that we went into, and um, they were that description. Uh, and they started, they start, they took chess. And we got them to start to behave, and we got them to listen. And they became very good at chess. Uh, but they went back into their classroom. We get the feedback from the teachers, of course. They go back into their classroom. They have learned how to listen. They have learned. And if you if you don't listen, you can't learn. If you don't listen to your teacher, you can't learn whatever he or she is teaching you. So and they became two of the, they were brothers, two of the best kids in the class, the best kids in their school. They succeeded and chess did that for them. And it was it was um, it was discipline as well as which of course it's fun, it's it's challenging, but if the discipline wasn't there too, uh, I I don't think we could pull that off. Yeah, and just for for clarity for anyone listening, a uh, Title One school means that forty uh, percent of the students um, are at least forty percent are designated as low income, and thus they receive. Uh, federal funding. And, and it's great great to hear stories like that, Elizabeth. And obviously, this is a unique time, obviously, uh, recording this when this never-ending pandemic. 
But yeah. I'm guessing at least prior to the pandemic, aside from all the, as you mentioned, future masters and occasional grandmasters that you've taught, when you when you step outside of your house in Berkeley, are you just seeing former students all over the place, Elizabeth? Well, you know, we, we teach so many students now, I couldn't possibly know them all. <laughs> and when I was teaching, I don't teach, I teach very seldom now. Uh, I'm busy running the organization. I'm busy trying to raise money for the building. I'm busy doing other stuff. Uh, but, of course, I know enough to know if, if I drop in on a class, whether the teacher's doing a good job or not. But um, And inevitably, we get feedback from the parents in the schools if there is a problem, and then we can go see what the problem is. But um, if, anyway, that's uh, uh, I, I've lost my train. What were we, what were we talking about? Just whether you see students, but as you say, uh, yeah, yeah. you're not as much anymore. Ones that I taught have long since grown up and moved off. Yeah, that makes sense. In yeah. Berkeley, of course, uh, university town. Yeah, yeah. Glo yeah, global global town. A lot, a lot of people uh, head off to different places and come from different places. Yeah. So, Elizabeth, we're going to take a quick break. And then when we get back, I'd like to ask you about the Queen's Gambit. Perpetual Chess is proud, as always, to be brought to you in part by Chessable.com. Of course, Chessable is constantly dropping new courses. Some of their latest include Keep It Simple for Black by I am Christoph Selecki, a.k.a. Chess Explained. It gives an entire repertoire for black no matter what you face, and Christoph is always thorough yet not overloading you with variations. There is also a brand new Lifetime Repertoires Berlin Defense from former U.S. champion GM Sam Shanklin. I hate playing against the Berlin, so I'd rather you not get that one. But hey, if you're looking to learn it, of course, Sam Shanklin does not mess around with his course offerings. And of course, whatever you choose to study on Chessable, you can utilize their proprietary move trainer technology to help you remember the lines you learn. So be sure, as always, to go to chessable.com and take a look at what's new. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we are back. So, Elizabeth, as I mentioned, of course, a unique time with with the pandemic dragging on. I'm guessing a lot of your classes are still online. Um, but it's been an amazing two years or so for chess with with the, the Queen's Gambit. So could you could you walk us through your own experience with with that show? I mean, my personal experience was the first thing I saw was the advanced cover of Chess Life before the show came out. And honestly, I thought the show would probably be pretty bad just because they often don't do a good job on chess shows. So to see it change the chess world for me was shocking. But you as a woman um, and as someone who's been so uh, involved at the grassroots level for decades must have had a uh, um, unique experience. So I'd love to hear more about it, Elizabeth. Yeah. And of course, uh, I personally am a woman. So I, I really relate to it. Um, I, I'm so delighted they did such a, an excellent, an excellent movie and a portrayal of portrayal of chess, and it has uh, it has got a lot of women and girls interested, especially women. Uh, well, girls are interested too, but we had programs for girls anyway. But women are sort of neglected in the chess world. Uh, but here, it was, I think it was just fantastic for for. Um, 
for women and girls too. Um, the movie itself, of course, is fiction. You know, I hear questions asked, well, what age was she when she, it was fiction, it's fiction. It right. didn't happen. <laughs> and uh, you don't get better or play better chess if you take drugs. In fact, yeah. you haven't a chance in hell of playing any sort of decent chess at all if you play drugs. And you don't you don't uh, get inspiration by looking at the ceiling and seeing all the pieces dance around. But it made a good story, and it got people uh, excited and involved about chess. And and I really think that that's just great. Personally, there is a movie made by Disney. I guess Netflix made made um, the Queen's Gambit, but um, Disney Queen made of- a movie called The Queen of Gatway of Gatway. Yeah. And that's real life. That that's a real story. And personally, I think that's. Um, I, I I wish Disney had put more money into it, and uh, spruced it up a little bit. And it might have been. It might have been a hit, too. It's about a young woman in in a young, Uganda uh, who comes from slums, uh, much much worse circumstance than the Queen's Gambit. Um, so I, I I really would like to to have people who enjoyed the Queen's Gambit, hey, well, look at this. This is real. This happens. This woman, this actually happened. And this can happen to your girl and this can happen to other girls. Um, and have you seen uh, an increased interest in chess since Queen's Gambit? Like from your vantage point, obviously we read, we all read the same chess stories and stuff. Um, or is it too hard to tell because of the pandemic? Uh, well, it's, uh, we, we have, we started a class uh, it's called the uh, the Queen's Regnant, a chess class for women, uh, and uh, women and mothers and daughters. But children, but girls of their own cannot attend this. It has to be women or mothers and daughters. Um, and over the years, I've tried chess classes for girls, chess classes for women, tournaments for girls, tournaments for women. Um, since the Queen's Gambit, we are much better um, with much better uh, attendance than before. Now it's online uh, at this moment in time. I, I'm looking forward to the time when it's not online because women are very sociable. Girls are much more sociable than men, and if you meet in person, it's 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 much more fun than if you're online. Even though you, in, in Zoom, which is what we use. Uh, you you still see the person, you talk with the person, but it's not the same. So I'm looking forward to when it will be actually in person. And hopefully 2022 will bring the end of this uh, uh, pandemic, at least, if not the end, at least so we can handle it. Yeah. Um, so that that's that's my hope. So for and as soon as that would happen, we would start in-person classes for women. Now, we do in-person tournaments. And we do in-person classes now. Um, during the pandemic, we did um, classes for in pods, classes for um, uh, the children of essential workers at our building. Uh, so it's, we have this uh, great tournament hall, and so we have uh, it's, there's lots of windows, there's lots of air can come in, and also it's it's big enough so we could space the kids apart sufficiently. Um, of course, once they get to the playground, it's another question. But, um, but uh, so, so that that's uh, so. Yeah, I've seen a, 
I've seen a, a, a rise in the interest in women, whether that will last. I mean, I remember the Bobby Fisher era, era. I lived through that, remember? And, oh, there were just hundreds and hundreds of, of kids taking chess. And within 10 years, there weren't kids taking chess. Um, so I don't know if it'll last. Um, I certainly hope it will. Uh, Although it was 10 years after... Uh the Fisher Spassky match that you launched the Berkeley Chess School. So I guess yeah. I guess there was still some interest, but yeah, well, you know, yeah. But at my local club, the Berkeley Chess Club, there, uh, you know, there was just there weren't the hundreds and hundreds of of people coming out to play. There were twenty, thirty, forty people coming out to play, as there are today. Uh, so it was. Um, it was a big spike, and there's a little spike now for women, and uh, I would hope that people would deal with it or hold on to it. I would hope the United States Federation and also the um, the organization in, in St. Louis uh, would encourage women. Actually, I have received money for my, um, uh, for my um, outreach program in Title I schools from uh, the, um, the organization in St. Louis, um, Singfelt. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Of course, yeah. Yeah. Well, his his wife has uh, has given money to the USCF women's thing, and we've received money through that for girls in Title One schools. So I hope people continue to realize that uh, help is needed here. It's it's been neglected for so long, and uh, you know, I mean. Not so long ago, if a girl played chess and she would go in and she'd play a boy and he would make make uh, fun of her uh, and she would go away and wouldn't come back. Um, I'm glad to say that today's girls are not quite like that. They won't take this, uh, but they feel it nonetheless. Uh, and that's why I have all girls tournaments um, for girls, because they have to build up a certain confidence that they know what they're doing. Uh, so they're not really put down when the boys do this. Now, of course the boys on the other hand, when they lose to a girl are teased by their, their peers, like how could you lose to a girl? So that still exists. That still goes around and um, that needs to be helped. I mean, you need to help the girls to become confident. You need to help the women to become confident that they can do it just as just as well, and this is where the Queen's Gambit, of course, uh, made a point. Like, hey, a woman can do it. Well, a woman hasn't done it yet, but a woman can do it. Yeah, for for sure. Now, in your interview with with Yin, you you said you know your last words, I believe, were that the big thing is to get the girls to hang in. And I used to run a lot of school programs myself, and I and I've I've heard you talk about this as well that. Often there there would be fewer girls signing up to begin with than than boys more commonly than not. But then on top of that, there's an attrition, which, as you mentioned, of course, uh, men um, are and boys are are probably bear the brunt of the responsibility for for um, not not providing a welcoming enough environment. So, um, Elizabeth, what advice would you give? What what can we change to to um, help continue to move the ball forward? Um, for women, uh, I proposed, I went to the United States Chess Federation and proposed 
that we have a, um, a regional uh, tournament for women uh, in the whole United States uh, in various regions. And then, you know, uh, then the champion of that region would pay and we'd have an eventual winner, uh, um, uh, U.S. winner. Um, and the, that idea was taken up by the Women's Committee, and uh, but it morphed into a girls' regional, and it's very successful now. Uh, and we have a regional. Um, these tournaments cost money. Uh, you have to pay a tournament director. You have to pay for a hall usually, or you have to pay. They they do cost money, not a lot of money. But um, I, when I run my women's tournaments, like to give the same prize fund as I give to the men. Um, generally speaking, other organizations, including the USCF, give less prize money to women. Well, why should that be? Why should, why should they sit there? They play their games. They do the same thing as men do. They do the best they can do. They, uh, and why shouldn't they be get the same prize fund? Uh, but my point is it costs money. So what can people do? Well, people who uh, have money to give uh, should should give it towards chess, especially if you're a chess player. Um, that would help. Uh, in terms of the, the uh, attitude of boys and girls, you know, that's just education like everything else. You talk to the boys. You talk to the girls. You do. You, um, you point out to them, how would you feel if this was happening to you? And and uh, over time, I think that makes makes a difference. But you have to not tolerate it. You, the tournament director has to not not see it. He has to see it. And he has to say, don't do that. Uh, I had a terrible, a, a girl of ours went to a, a national tournament and she had very short hair. And she went to the bathroom in the middle of her game and she wouldn't be allowed back in because the person was convinced that she was a boy and this was a girls' tournament. So he simply wouldn't let her in to play her to finish her game. Eventually she ended up in tears. She was crying, let her in. But by then, I mean, she lost her game, of course, even though she was a queen up when she left to go to the bathroom. So, you know, these, these sort of things happen. Tournament directors have to have more sensitivities and they have to step in and speak up. Yeah, I mean, so there's there's tor- there's tournament directors trying to tamp down on any sort of rude behavior and provide a welcoming atmosphere, but then there's also instances where they can be like actually contributing to the problem. Um I'm guessing you're not on Twitter, Elizabeth, but uh uh Anna Cromling, who's a woman's fide ma- master and she's become a well-known uh chess Twitch streamer in the past couple of years. Young young lady from Sweden. She's uh the daughter of two grandmasters of uh Pia Cramling and uh one, I believe it's uh Bellon. I forgot to to check that, but she recently tweeted about some of her experiences as a scholastic, strong scholastic player playing in international events. She said Many are saying that if women wanted to play chess, they would. Let me ask you this. How would you feel at age 15 if a male arbiter, 50 years old, told you you're not allowed to walk around the open section because you're wearing shorts and therefore disturbing the male players? This happened to me at a very important championship, and it made me feel sad and embarrassed for simply girls wearing shorts when it was 40 degrees Celsius. That's... um, um, Yeah, 40 degrees Celsius outside. (laughs) We don't need to make chess a better environment 
or sorry, we need to make chess a better environment for girls and women in general to make the ones that do want to play chess stay. And then she went on to say that she's had friends, girl friends of hers quit chess because of similar experiences. Yeah. I remember too, when, when I was playing, uh, this was in Europe, Ireland and Europe, but almost everywhere you went, the the male bathroom was within a walking distance or very close to the tournament hall. The women's bathroom was halfway around the uh, the rest of the of the building. So and there was no question of stopping your clock to to give you the extra time that you needed to walk halfway through the building. Uh, I remember the Mechanics Institute in that time. It's changed since, but uh, you had to go. You had to go to the tournament director to get a key. Then you opened a, a door and you went up three flights of stairs. You had a second key then to get into the bathroom up there. Then you came down the three flights of stairs. You gave the keys back to the tournament director. Then you went back to your game. Um, that was unfair. I mean, your time is going all this time to the point where I, because I was, a, I was a feisty. Uh, maybe I, I suppose I still am, but I wouldn't tolerate that. So I said to the tournament director, you stand outside the men's bathroom while I use it, which he did. And it sort of shocked men, but it didn't. They, they saw that they saw the um, fairness of it once it was pointed out to them. But they would never have thought of maybe stopping the clock or, you know, pausing the clock or anything like that. Of course, you don't do that in chess, but. You know, there are extenuating circumstances. So on and on and on. It's um, awareness, I guess, is what has to happen. Awareness in women and awareness in men. It's it's not it's not a it's not a male problem. It's it's a, a both problem. You can't you can't let these things. OK, it's an awareness huh. problem. Yeah. And and you you've also told the story that when you were a girl in Ireland, you, you wanted to take a math class. Could, could you tell that story for our listeners? Yeah, I was so proud of my father. Uh, he, well, I, I was in elementary school and I liked math. I was good at math. And then I went to this, um, uh, in high school, I went to a board, boarding school, a fancy boarding school, and um, they didn't have advanced math for girls. And so my father went and said, well, uh, you know, why don't you have advanced math for girls? Well, girls are no good at math, he was told. And he said, well, my daughter is very good at math, and I really wanted to offer the advanced math for her, which they did because um, private schools who are paid a lot do what parents want them to do. Um, so, uh, so there were, I think, 12 girls in that class, not just me, there were 12 girls who took advanced math and we all passed in fl- with flying colors, no problem. But the nuns, was it was, uh, girls are no good at math. I mean, girls, what are they for? They grow up and they become mothers and they marry somebody and he takes care of them. Uh, so why would they need math? <laughs> uh, that's changed, I'm glad to say. Yeah, changed, maybe not changed enough, but... Right, but at least there, there hopefully has been some progress. Now, do you see analogs? I'm guessing I know the answer to this, but when you think about how how uh, how this had to change for you to take these math classes, do you see a similar setting in the in the chess world even now? Uh, not really. No, uh, I think I think it's 
I mean, when I was younger, it certainly would have been. But I think nowadays it's accepted that uh, girls and women play chess. It's accepted that they uh, won't play it very well. But the fact of the matter is, you know, why do we not have a world uh, champion woman? Well, hopefully we will have someday. But uh, part of the reason is um, uh, childbearing. Part of the reason is that part of our DNA is uh, to have and nurture children. I think that's a hugely important part of life, much more important than being a chess champion, as a matter of fact. Uh, so that's why I like to see girls. We have a little, we have, she's not so little, she's a 14-year-old girl who plays with us now, um, and she is a, a national master. She is very strong. Uh, and I like to see that because there's a chance for her to go really far before she comes to the point where, like Judith, like uh, Judith Polgar did, the point where she decides she wants to have children. And, um, you know, I know the Polgar sisters have a story. I think it was Susan. Uh, she uh, just had a baby and there was a um, there was a tournament she was to play in and she asked the FIDE, the uh, National Organization of Chess, to uh, postpone it if, because she just had a baby and they refused. That They see no reason. They saw no reason whatsoever why it should be postponed. That complete ignorance on the part of men as to what's involved in, uh, for, in a woman's body, in a woman's mind, in a woman's whole being and having a baby and having nurturing a baby and being with a baby no 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 understanding at all uh, she played and lost uh, i believe um but um so yeah <laughs> chess is very male dominated at the top yeah and yeah. a lot of uh ignorance really about women yeah uh unfortunate but but uh, indisputable i'd say um yeah, I'm good friends with uh, Jennifer Shahadi. And again, since this stuff has been discussed a lot online recently, um, she, at some point, they were talking about women's tournaments and how, how as you mentioned, the possibility of uh, more equitable prize funds, among other uh, changes that could be made. And someone asked her um, why they have women's tournaments. And Jen actually has made on her webpage like a page devoted to asking that question because she's been asked it so many times that she just didn't want to have to answer it every single time. She, she can just say, here, go yeah. read this. Yeah. But I'm curious how, how you answer that question yourself, Elizabeth. I mean, I'm, you know, as a, as a male who would like more women to enjoy and, and compete in chess and, you know, as, again, someone who's done a lot of teaching as well, I mainly try to defer to women on these questions, so I'm curious what, what how you answer it. Well, that's my answer. The the reason, um, you know, Judith Polgar is our example, of course. She was so strong. She beat Barry Kasparov, uh, Gary Kasparov. So uh, she was very strong and going full speed ahead uh, when uh, the time came she uh, for her and she wanted to have children. Uh, and so she dropped out of chess. She came back into chess later, and that doesn't work. But I, I know myself in my own fall, in my own small way, uh, I was a much stronger player before I had children than since I've had children. It, it, it just doesn't come back to that extent. So, or maybe just the dedication or the whole, you no longer, your focus is no longer 
I'm a chess player and I'm going to become whatever. Your focus is I'm a chess player and I'm a mother and I'm, you know, so it's you, you change basically. So yeah, my, my answer is why um, there are very few, um, very few uh, world champions under 30, you know, uh, when women are typically beginning to, or have had, or beginning to think about having children. Um, I think uh, there's no doubt in my mind that if you had to, if a woman has to choose between one and the other, she should choose having children. Um, so, so the the hope is that if girls start younger and become strong younger, then by the time they're thirty, they'll have made it. But you do think that uh, girls' tournaments should play a role in helping to foster a, um, a welcoming environment. Well, absolutely, because because it, it helps girls build up their uh, uh, feeling of self-worth in, in, in chess, that they can actually do it. Um, to send them into a mixed environment uh, before then is possible, and we do it all the time, but it's, it's harder on them uh, unless they're very strong because their father taught them at home or something, they became strong or something like that. But um, no, I think there is a place for girls' tournaments. Uh, you know, the the Olympic the Olympiads that I played in were girls. I mean, there was a girl, a woman's section and a man's. No, it wasn't a man's section. In fact, it was a mixed section. But um, there was a woman, the woman's section. And if there wasn't a woman's section, uh, there wouldn't be very many women at all playing at that level. Well. Playing at that level is exactly what inspires a woman to work harder and go further and do it uh, because they see what's possible. Uh, so so there's a place for, for just women, for chess. Yeah, well said. I, I agree. I just figured I should ask because people online are, are always asking such such questions. And getting to what you were saying about um, about obviously having kids changes people, but my wife, you know, we have two kids and she's said that when, since our kids were born, she has this visceral feeling like a, a, a piece of them is, is gone from her and is, is inside them. And obviously I, I love my kids and they're, they're a part of me and they've, you know, I consider being a parent to be the, the best, like in having a family to be the best decision I've made, but I don't think it's as visceral for a man, or at least it's not for me. Absolutely not. It's not. It just isn't. And uh, in fact, having having when you have the baby, it's much it's much more demanding than when you were pregnant with the baby. For the most part, uh, there are some women who have difficult pregnancies, but most you go through the pregnancy. Uh, but then when you have the child, you're you're first of all the the effort of having the child is enormous. Uh, the whole procedure then then you you're you're sleep deprived um, generally speaking you're nursing the baby the man can't do that so you're sleep deprived you're you've come into it with less energy because of the birth then you <laughs> it's just it's just a huge demand at that stage of a woman's life uh obviously that changes that's um yeah yeah but as you say, worth it. Worth it in the end. I. I mean. Oh gosh, nothing yeah. like it. Nothing like it. If that's, yeah, uh, that compared with the, uh, you know, being a grandmaster, being grandmaster is fantastic. Uh, I wish I had been able to become one, uh, <laughs> but um, no comparison. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
Well, Elizabeth, we've got some listener questions that I'd like to dive into, but first we're going to take one more break and hear from our sponsors. Listeners, our friends at aimchess.com have a fun new feature that I want to tell you about. It is called the Aim Chess Recap. If you're familiar with Spotify Wrapped, it's basically the chess version of that, your chess year in review. They have a new design to make the user experience more fun, and they tell you all kinds of stats from your, from your year, the ones you might be used to, like how you do with certain openings, certain colors against who you played the most, how many minutes you played the total year, and then some fun stuff like the total amount of smothered mates you played, the number of en passants taken, uh, all of your missed mate and ones. Okay, maybe that one's not as fun. And if you see something you want to share, you can easily share it on social media. So that's called the Aim Chess Recap. Link is in the show description. It's free to check out. And then if you do decide to subscribe to Aim Chess, use the code PERPETUAL30 to save 30%. All right, let's head back to Perpetual Chess. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So our first question, Elizabeth, is from friend and supporter of the podcast, Alex Friedman, who asks, what is your favorite opening to teach kids? Okay, well, uh, um, we don't teach kids openings per se. <laughs> so there is no favorite opening to teach kids. We teach them the Reuben Fine 10, 10 principles of the opening. Uh, we also 10 the middle game, 10 the end game. And that's what our teaching is sort of based on. We do teach through games. So they see various openings. We also teach them um, at a certain level of competence um, uh, traps. So they're not, so, you know, this opening has this trap. Don't get caught in that. And this opening has this trap. Don't get caught in that. Um, So they see openings, but we do not teach. We do not get them to memorize lines. We don't do that. We, our big emphasis is on tactics. And we, if they have time, and children these days don't have much time, it's amazing, sad really, but um, if they have time to spend, whatever little time they have to spend, uh, in my opinion, should be on tactics. Uh, they should know an opening. Yes, they should know what they're doing. They should know an opening. But the idea of, you know, um, following an opening through in every possible line, it's impossible to start with, but you know, it's generally possible to an extent for children is just, for for me, not what you do. You teach them tactics. You teach them the fun of the game. You you make sure they don't get caught in the traps because that's very disappointing to them, uh, for them. Uh, you know, a kid knows nothing much about chess except the traps and the, you realize, you know, why am I wasting my time? Why don't I just learn traps? Um, but traps, of course, in a way are tactics too. So... So that's our philosophy. We we do not, I do not have a favorite opening that we teach kids. So I hope that answers your question. 
Yeah, well, part of it, I think, um, is probably that, again, you guys, I know you do Friday night classes for a wide range of skill levels, but I'm guessing most of the students, you know, out of the 250,000, at least 200,000 are going to be like beginner level classes. And I definitely, yeah, definitely agree with the philosophy of, uh, yeah, they don't need to know the, the you know, the, the semi-Slav or something really like don't. that. They really yeah. don't. Yeah. You know, soon enough, by the way, they'll hear names like the, the, the Sicilian or the dragon, or they'd hear these names and that would fascinate them. They'd want to go soon enough. They'll be in that. We don't have to put them into it. Yeah. And, you know, we have a chess library and I think uh, certainly more than half of the library is, is openings. And the rest is for the rest. Uh, you could spend a lifetime studying openings and never get through. Um, personally, I have my set of my personal set of openings, which are few and far between because I, and I know those fairly thoroughly. Um, yeah, but you're you're still competing, right, Elizabeth? I oh, saw yeah. you played in December. I uh, I can I play chess at the club every Friday night, a, a rated game. Uh, Oh, I love it. That's great. Every Friday night. Yeah. Yeah. That's... I bring my coffee to keep me awake. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. How's your game holding up? It's holding up okay. I mean, uh, you cannot take me for granted. That's yeah. That's that's all you want. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, wonderful. I enjoy the game so much. Uh, I'm not going to give it up until I have to. And I don't have to yet. <laughs> yeah, and we've you've mentioned, uh, uh, and I know you you've uh, worked with Beatrice Marinello, who of course has been on the show, and um, you know is active in uh, initiatives to promote chess as a method to uh, deter or uh, stave off Alzheimer's. And I know you mentioned it earlier, and we also have a listener question from uh, David Lazarus. Thanks for supporting Perpetual Chess, David. So David asks, he says, Hi, Elizabeth, are you aware of the Harvard study that I took regarding chess and cognitive ability for seniors over the age of 65? And he wonders what experience you've had with older people and their ability to continue to fight off dementia by using their brain for chess. I took the test. Oh, you did too? Yeah. Yeah, I took the test. They were looking for volunteers, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm very old, so uh, I thought that would be interesting. Uh, I think it was sixty-five and over they were doing. Yeah. Or, you know, I'm eighty-four, so that's a long way down the, down the path. And uh, I thought it'd be interesting to see that at eighty-four, you know, I wasn't a babbling idiot. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, we're proving that in this interview, <laughs> and that I could actually pass these things. The test was. Pretty much the same as I saw maybe 20 or 30 years ago, my late husband, when they were uh, assessing, the doctors were assessing his brain. Uh, It was pretty much the same test. So that was interesting to me, too. Uh, They sort of didn't make up their own test. And in your interview with Yin, you you mentioned the importance of solving difficult puzzles in chess. Is that something you're, you're still doing? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's... This is tactics. This is the joy. This is, I mean, you must have, you're a chess player, sort of go breathless. Sometimes you see, oh my God, look at that move. That's amazing. You know, that's chess. And they come up more often than you would believe, really. Uh, So, yeah, yeah. Wonderful. Um, And we had one more listener question. This one is from Freddie uh, Chavira, who says, Uh, He's excited about the interview. He lives in Oakland. He has two questions. Number one, um, if you could update us on the progress of the remodeling of the chess club. And number two, 
Um, he was wondering if there's going to be any training staff to create a welcoming environment for for visitors there. He was struck by Ben Weingold's description on, he was on this podcast and he was discussing the now, uh, unfortunately, um, closed chess center of his where he said the club's mission is to make everyone feel welcome. So you could take those one at a time, I suppose. Okay, well, I, I'll start with the building. Um, yeah, we bought this building. Um, as with uh, as with chess historically, chess clubs around the nation, indeed around the world, um, they're they're poor. They never have any money. Uh, they mostly are sort of rent spaces in the basement of churches or uh, such places. Um, and uh, I decided that um, that this was not appropriate for the wonderful game of chess. Hmm. That we should have a building of our own that is a chess center that does nothing but chess. Um, well, that's all right to think about that. I'm not a rich woman. I'm very, very much a middle class person. Um, so, you know, how do you do it? Well, I thought, well, we'll try and raise the money to do it. And we won't go into how long it took me, but it took years. And eventually um, we, well, one of the problems was the bank won't touch, really they don't touch nonprofits. Uh, and we're a nonprofit. So, um, so we found a way of getting a mortgage with, uh, uh, although we're a nonprofit. But uh, what we bought, uh, was a, a building in very poor shape. So the money, uh, well, we put in money to, to fix it up to the point where that we have this hall that is functional and bathrooms and so on. Um, but there's a lot more to the building that needs to be done. And one of the first things was the, the entryway uh, and to house a lift so that we can offer our program to disabled as well as able-bodied people. Uh, our mission is to bring chess to everybody that we can. So, uh, so coming up, uh, we have uh, finally raised enough money to do this entry hall and and lift. And if we could just get a, the a building permit from the city of Berkeley, who's spinning their wheels, uh, we could actually start construction. So that's the that answers your question. I think of where is it at now? It's ready to go for the entry hall and the 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 lift uh, when we've that done we've a lot more work to do on the on the building but it's less um huge i mean this was very is very very costly um, yeah and when when did you acquire the building how long ago uh, 2017 okay oh it's been recent yeah Wow, and, and real estate in the Bay Area is uh, not exactly. Ah, I don't, yeah. yeah, I don't need to tell you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I own a house here, luckily, because I couldn't afford it today. Yeah. Um, and my children can't afford a house in Berkeley, though my son actually has a, a condominium. But anyway, it's uh, so that's, I think, answers your question about the building. I, I hope it does. Um, looking forward to it, looking forward to having you come. Uh, when uh, your name is again, Ben? Yeah, ben. that'd be great. Poor Ben. It's another Ben. Yeah, a different Ben. Okay. 
Okay. Uh, I hope you'll come, Ben, when we have the entry. Oh, sorry. No. Oh, the the listener is Freddie. Yeah. Freddie, um, Freddie, Freddie. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, I hope you come. Now, in terms of uh, welcoming, uh, there's uh, there was a pre-COVID time when our staff, uh, our office staff, was in the building uh, during the day, every weekday. And if somebody came to the building, there was somebody there to greet them. Uh, those people were office staff. They weren't chess players, so they couldn't give you a game of chess. But I was usually there, too. And uh, they would often, if a person wanted a game, would often refer to me. And if I had the time, I would play a game. Um, since Well, since COVID uh, and schools, schools closed down uh, and we all, all of us office people now work from home, um, the building is closed. So there's nobody there to welcome anybody because there's nobody there. Uh, on Friday night, we have, uh, uh, well, we did through COVID, we did online chess. It's only very recently, really, I think around September that we started in-person tournaments again or in-person classes. But um, but we did. And, uh, and if you come on Friday night when we're there, uh, to um, uh, play a tournament, uh, you certainly would get be welcome and you could probably get a, a, a friendly game. Uh, the tournament on Friday night is a USAF rated tournament. It is part of a, of a, a marathon tournament, a six-week tournament or sometimes an eight-week tournament, um, and you're very welcome to come play in that. But if you just want a casual game, no, the building isn't even open. There's nobody there. Um and we certainly couldn't afford, especially since now, since COVID, and it's uh, it's really hard to make ends meet. Um, it's uh, to pay somebody to be there all day, so that if somebody happened to show up who wants to play a game, uh, we somehow find a partner for that person, or maybe the person brings a partner. Um, so it it isn't practical at the moment. Now, when we put on our um, extension to the front. Um, we hope to make that into a small coffee coffee shop. And if um, again, it'll take time because uh, we'll have to get the money together to to do that. But when we uh, when it becomes a small coffee shop, then it's conceivable that there'll be somebody there serving coffee all day. In which case, uh, they'll be they'll be earning money from the sale of coffee, or they'll be you know. So it won't be. It won't be paying somebody to stand there and do nothing all day, lest somebody shows up looking for a game. Right. And yeah. It's so, but we hope that, and especially again back to for women, that would be a friendly place to go. I mean, when I played in Ireland, uh, men and women after the game always went to the pub, and you go over your game, and you uh, you you talk to your you talk to your opponents, you talk to other people. It's it's a more much more of a sociable thing than it is here. I found it really strange when I first came here. I go and play chess and at the end of the game you just go home. You you don't hang around, you don't talk with anybody, you don't mix with other chess players, you just go home. Uh, I'd like to change that in the chess school. Uh, so to that extent I, I'd be more welcoming than most. Uh, to stay afterwards, stay and go over your game, have a cup of coffee, pay for a cup of coffee and uh, uh, go over your game. Or say, you know, I'd like to come by on Wednesday. I have a friend who's coming from somewhere and I'd like to play a game and show him the chess the chess school. Uh, could I do that? Uh, so that, that would work. 
I did have a free uh, casual Wednesday night. Uh, I offered it, I suppose, about for six months. It was so poorly attended and I had to pay somebody to be there all the time that I stopped doing it. Um, so so it's, it's a tricky thing. It's something that, um, you know, ideally you'd love to have a place that's open all the time for anybody who wants to come by and play chess. Practically speaking, that's not always possible. I hope with the coffee shop it'll be more possible. So, and as for not being friendly, no, no, we encourage people to be friendly, to welcome everybody who comes comes by, everybody. Yeah, I mean, and, and the challenges you describe of, of keeping a chess club going are certainly they've come up fairly often uh, for for listeners who haven't heard my first interview with FM Peter Giannatos about how we built the Charlotte Chess Club. I definitely encourage listeners to check that out. But Elizabeth, I'd also like to hear your advice just for anyone listening who's start thinking of starting from, from scratch, uh, whether it be after school programs or uh, a physical chess facility. Uh, wh- what advice might you have for them, Elizabeth? Um. My advice is you can do it. Uh, You can do it. I did it. As I said, I'm just an ordinary middle-class person. I don't have money like the man, luckily, in in St. Louis has millions of dollars to do it. I don't have have money to do it. I can't put my own personal money into it. But if I can do it, anyone can do it. It's just uh, believing that you can do it. People are interested People uh, understand, uh, and uh, you you just you just do it. You figure out how how am I going to do it, and you just believe that you can do it, and you can do it. That's that's my advice to people. Um, we're a very uh, certainly here in California. We're a very wealthy community, very wealthy, despite the fact that there's also a, a horrible poverty in the state. But basically, there's an awful lot of money here. Uh, people have the money. Offer them a quality program. That's the other thing. And don't go into it for the money. Just, I, I, I'm not going to become a millionaire through this. Um, it's, I'm not in it for the money. Uh, don't go into it for the money. Go into it to bring to better people's lives. You have to have the money to do it. So money is an object. There, it's, it's a consideration. It'd be foolish to think it isn't, uh, but that you'll make a lot of money doing it, you won't. Yeah, yeah, good, good advice. I mean, you're lucky if you can just sustain it. Again, as as Ben Feingold unfortunately wasn't wasn't able to. Well, the Manhattan um, Club. I mean, oh, yeah. the tragedy of that. Yeah, that really, that really. When that happened, I really felt, oh my goodness, I've got to do something. Otherwise, what I've done here and put my life's work into will die when I die. Uh, and, you know, I didn't want that to happen. I wanted it to keep going. It's a good thing we're doing for people. We have a quality program to offer. Nobody can dispute that with our three grandmaster alumni and the international master alumni. And uh, it's uh, so quality program, belief that you can do it. Get good people around you to, to, to work who believe the same thing, who believe in the cause and uh, work at it and it'll happen. So what did when when you you mentioned when the Manhattan Chess Club uh closed you it it kind of um Shocked. served as a catalyst so what yeah. what did you change what what was different after that what did you decide to do Oh I got more serious about asking people for money 
Yeah. Nobody likes to ask people for money. At least um, I, 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 the vast majority of people don't like asking people for money. It's, it's sort of awkward. Uh, but I, I thought I got more serious about it and I, I uh, went about asking more people for money, um, explaining why, what we needed and why we needed it. And, the, and is the Berkeley Chess School, is it in good financial health right now? Yes, it is. Uh, but I must say that when COVID hit and schools were closed overnight, uh, we were in in terrible. We had we had a rainy day fund, all right, put aside, but the rain kept raining. Yeah, and it uh, kept going on and on and on. And I don't think we would have made it through without the PP lo- PPP loan from the government. I really wow. don't. Um, and we got that, and uh, we were uh, forgiven that. We did what we were supposed to do with it, able to hire people, able to pay people. Uh, and we hung in there. Now, we also I must just say in our favor that, and my staff especially, it, it closed on Monday, and on Thursday we were teaching online. We'd yeah. never taught before online. Uh, we had to train. We had to learn how to do it. We had to train people to do it, and we had to do it. And we did on Thursday because otherwise – we won't make it through and we do now have a mortgage to pay. So, yeah. so it was, um, so it was essential that we did that and we did it. And um, now also before that, generally people were not uh, receptive to doing chess online. Uh, they didn't think that what well, you didn't even think of, we would, they wouldn't choose to do it at all. That's all changed now. So now we're going forward with um, two prongs in a way. One is in person, the other is online. We're going to continue doing online and people want that. Um, so so that's a plus uh, in the story of will we, will we make it through eventually? I think we will. If they close down schools again, I, I think it's uh, it's going to be tough. Yeah, so they don't close ten schools again. Yeah, it's been been quite an ordeal. It's yeah. Yeah. enough already. But you know, obviously, yeah. it's beyond our control. Yeah, um, and then well, also the teaching of the we got uh, the of the children of um, the children of essential workers. We taught, and we also taught some children from uh, disadvantaged schools who hadn't got computers at home or the access or the parents or the parents to teach them or anything. We, we taught those two in pods with all keeping all the rules and regulations and we uh, had yeah. in which to do it. Yeah. Well, um, it's good that you, you were able to provide that service. Um, the, the last topic I wanted to, to talk about Elizabeth um, was you've, you've, I know you've, in addition to the grandmasters, we've mentioned that you've taught. You've you've had some some great interactions over the years. You mentioned in a talk, Walter Brown, Grandmaster Walter Brown used to live down the street from the chess club, and you've got pictures on your website of you with like uh, Kasparov and uh, Polgar and um, Karpov, and of course you were friendly with uh, the legendary uh, George Kolodnowski. So I'm wondering what what your favorite sort of uh, chess chess celebrity air quotes stories are. Well, I was more than friends with George Kotonowski. He was one of the members of our founding board. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. George was, uh, when I, I, you know, when I started the idea, I he wrote for the Chronicle and I wrote back 
and said, you know, I, I could use some advice. I would like to start a, you know, I've, I've had this experience of 72 children showing up and, you know, I'd like some advice and some help. And he answered me and I went over to his place in San Francisco and we discussed what we could do and what we could not do. And he was enormous help to me in, in um, this thing that I've said to you, you can do it. I mean, he just said, you know, you can do it. Here's here's what we'll try to do. We'll try to do this, this, and this. And when I founded the nonprofit, he was uh, one of the board members, one of those three board members, four board members. Um, so uh, so I knew him very well. Now, um, Kasparov I met from the in the Olympics. Uh, um, uh, he was... Um, you know, it, it, that's the nice thing about Olympics. You meet all these people. I mean, you have meals sitting next to them. It's it's uh, it's very exciting. All these uh, great names. So, who's my favorite? Um, is that what you're saying? Yeah. Or what's your favorite story from like m- meeting a um, famous chess player, if you have one? Other than George, I don't think I have one. That's my story of meeting George. He was just uh, just threw everything he had into helping me, and we had we started chess festival at the time. Uh, I had just started, and so all the little children really didn't know very much about games. And so the chess festival was the little children playing, elementary school children playing against the um, pillars of the society, like the mayor of the town or the uh, the professor up at Cal, or, and they would come and play the children. Um, and uh, whoever, if, if a child beat them, they got a prize. And that was great until our children got so good that they would beat all these people. And then uh, I wasn't going to invite all these people so they could be humiliated. So I stopped doing the festival. But um, but George started that and it got it got the uh, name out. It got the idea that, uh, hey, there's chess in this community. Come play uh, or start it at your school or whatever. Um, yeah, I met Kasparov. I met all these people. But um uh, you know, I don't have a story about them. They're they're famous. Well, let's talk a bit about before we go, George. Just because, correct me if I'm wrong, but he, in a sense, is one of the first chess professionals. Um, I did a podcast about blindfold chess, and of course, he was legendary uh, for his knight's tour, where he, yeah. with his eyes closed, could make the knight touch every square and uh, all kinds of tricks. Where he had to be sort of very creative about ways to um, to uh, put on a chess exhibition in order to support himself uh, through chess. Um, Did you have any conversations with him about that sort of thing and about like how to promote chess generally? I mean, I'm sure he would be happy to see the state it's in now. Oh, he'd be overjoyed. But that was the whole point of his his, uh, partnership in a way with me is that we uh, i was i was at that time much younger than he was he had done an awful lot and he, he was the dean of american chess he had done an awful lot for chess already uh, and uh, we we sparked off each other in a way uh, so he was able to give me his wisdom and i was able to uh, give ideas and do things and uh, it was uh, it was a wonderful meeting of chess people in the interest of chess and uh, we really hit it off well and I got an awful lot from from him about how to do things and how not to do things um he certainly wasn't in it for the money either he he really loved the game and loved uh, kids and loved um 
uh, spreading it among kids. Um, yeah. yeah, so George is one of my fondest memories. Yeah, amazing legacy. Um, and that uh, that night's tour was amazing. I mean, I don't know how he did it. I, I, he never told me how he did it. <laughs> I don't know how he did it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, of course, yeah. it's in the Guinness Book of Records. Of, uh, yeah. yeah. Worth, worth exploring for any listeners who want to do some internet digging. Well, Elizabeth, this has been amazing. I'm guessing that for anyone interested in supporting Berkeley Chess School, you guys are accepting donations. Is that correct? Absolutely. And especially for the building, especially with the building or the outreach program. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and I saw on the website, you can earmark or not earmark as, as is your preference. If, okay. if one, I'm going to make a donation when we're done with this, because I'm so, so inspired by, by your story. And uh, yeah, as you say that the chance to, I mean, it, I feel like both the community outreach, the, the the physical places to play chess, even in the internet age, that's important. But obviously, as you mentioned, exposing chess to not just those who can afford it is also extremely important. So thank you for, for all your contributions to chess over the years, Elizabeth. Thanks for having me on your show, Ben. You're, you're welcome. My pleasure. And if people want to reach out to the chess school, should I just uh, link to the website? What's the, what's the best yes. way? Link to the website, berkeleychesschool.org. Okay, will do. Thanks so much, Elizabeth. Have a good night. And good luck over the board. Excited to, to see your continued competition. Thank you. Thank you. I'll see you someday. Oh, no, you're over, you're over the other side of the world. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Right. Thanks, Ben. Thanks to everyone who helps make Perpetual Chess possible. Big shout out to my producer, Matthew Passy. I'd also like to thank the Blue Wire Podcast Network, with whom we are proud to be affiliated. Be sure to follow us on social media, Beneficial1 on Twitter, at Perpetual Chess on Instagram, and or you can join the Perpetual Chess Facebook group. You can email me, ben at perpetualchesspod.com. And of course, last but not least, I'd like to give major thanks to the Perpetual Chess Patreon and PayPal supporters. Those who choose to join that community based on their level of support can do things like submit questions for guests of the show, have access to live Zoom Q&A lectures with grandmasters who often have appeared on the show, going over chess games, answering questions, stuff like that. And you can even get access to ad-free perpetual chess if that's your preference. So, but most of all, thanks to everyone for listening and we will catch you all on the next episode. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.